Good evening, church family, and a warm welcome to McLean Presbyterian. My name is Nathan, one of the pastors here. It is a privilege to be together with you in God's Word this evening. If you would, turn your Bibles to John chapter 13. If you have a church Bible, you can find it on page 900. We're going to be reading verses 34 through uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Uh, These chapters, John chapter 13 through 17, are the longest piece of teaching by Jesus in uh, the New Testament. And we're going to be narrowing in, though, on these few verses this evening on the new commandment, verses 34 and 35 in particular. And as Pastor Bill said, it's Maundy Thursday where we get this new mandate, this new commandment that Jesus has given us to live our lives in the way that he has shown us how to live in his act of humility and love. And I love how New Testament commentator D.A. Carson describes these verses. The new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate and profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. Simple and profound things that we get to look at tonight together. So let's read these verses. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the roosters will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Mighty and merciful Father, would you open our eyes tonight to see your humility and your grace Would you help us to hear with clarity your truth and the implications that it has for our lives? Would you show us our Savior, Jesus, for we wish and desperately need to see him. We ask that you would do this by your spirit and for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have been with us recently, we've just finished up a series on 1 Peter. And if we had to pick a best supporting character in the Gospels, I think that it's safe to say that Peter would be at the top of that list. The Gospels are full of Peter. And so as we set the context for where we are, I just want to spend a few moments seeing this story through Peter's eyes. If you remember the first of Jesus' disciples was Andrew, as we heard last week, and he's mentioned several times. He doesn't speak much in the New Testament, but we constantly see him bringing people to Jesus, including his brother, Peter. But Peter, oh, Peter, he is known for saying some of the most 
memorable words in the pages of Scripture. So here, here's a few things that I found. If you remember, shortly after calling his disciples, Jesus has performed an amazing miracle on board Peter's boat. He was a fisherman. They caught so many fish that their boat began to sink. And Peter's response to Jesus was, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And later when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Peter famously replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then a mere moments later, when Jesus began to foreshadow the cross, Peter said, God forbid it, Lord, that this should ever happen to you. You remember that stormy night on the boat, Peter and the disciples were on the boat bound for the other shore. When Peter saw Jesus walking out on the water and he cried out to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. And Peter obeyed and became the second man that we know recorded uh, to walk on water. But then quickly as his eyes drifted to the storms around him and the waves that were crashing in, he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Later, when many of Jesus' disciples were beginning to turn their backs on him because he wasn't the political savior or the king that they had hoped for, he turned to his disciples and he said, do you wish to go away as well? To which Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And in this passage in the upper room where we find ourselves tonight, just a few verses before what we read, you shall never wash my feet, which Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet alone, but my head and my hands as well. And it's into this room of characters that we enter this evening. Satan via Judas, which is an interesting note in this story, has quietly just left the room and the hour has now come for the glory of Christ to be revealed in his death and in his resurrection. His arrest, his betrayal, his death are coming and Jesus chose these words to share in some of the final moments that he had with his disciples, with the remaining 11, about what he was doing and what his call was for us to, uh, to do in reply as he was preparing them to enter into the world. So tonight I want us to consider three questions as we look at this passage. First, what's new about this new commandment? How has Jesus loved us and how are we called to love others? So the first question is, what's new about this commandment? Jesus teaches them by giving them this new commandment. So I wanted to try something. Let's read this again. It's simple for us to be able to memorize verse 34. So let's read verse 34 together, okay? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love 
one another. And so we hear, we'll, we'll just read 34 for now. This new commandment, what's new about it? There's a few ways that we can understand this newness. Uh, one of them is novelty. And so what do I mean by that? As if the novelty has worn off. The point is, it is easy to forget sometimes God's steadfast love toward us, who he is and what he's done for us. So we need to be continually reminded of this commandment to love one another in this way. We hear often in the Old Testament, Judges 8, 34 is a great summary of this refrain. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who delivered them from the hand of their enemies. And John Calvin in his commentary on these verses actually suggests that that is part of what Jesus is, is saying in these verses. I wish you continually to remember this commandment as if it is a new mandate. I'm reminding you again of these words that you know as if it's new. And I think it's interesting to think about that because uh, we see it might be true in Peter's distracted response. We've got this new commandment and yet what is Peter's response? Yeah, yeah, Jesus, we've heard that a thousand times. We know what the first and second greatest commandments are, but where are you going? Because Jesus has just told him that he's gonna be departing soon. So the novelty of these first and second greatest commandments has perhaps worn off because these words have become so familiar to Peter and his friends. And I know that that's something that I'm prone to do as well. So prone to forget these simple and profound truths. Another way, though, to understand this newness is definitely novelty, but also the depth in which Jesus adds these words, as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. So in some ways, there's nothing new about these words. This comes from the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, and the second, to love your neighbor as yourself from Leviticus 19, as Jesus pulls that thread and teaches in his Sermon on the Mount and other places. So in some ways, this is not a new commandment, and yet it's new because it is this moment in history that God sent his son Jesus to enter in to save us from our sins. Isn't that amazing? From before the foundation of the world, God chose this moment to embody himself in the person of Jesus to save us from our sins. That's what Paul is essentially picking up on in Romans 5.8 when he says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we know, we see what Deuteronomy had in mind that Jesus would fulfill these words, even help us understand them deeper. Which takes us to our second question. How has Jesus loved us? How has Jesus loved us? We can say just from the stories preceding these verses, he has loved us with humility. As we see, he washes his disciples' feet. He's loved them completely, sacrificially, perfectly. And the truth is, we will never understand 
how we are called to love one another, if we don't understand the love that Jesus is demonstrating here in these verses, how he is laying down his life for his friends, washing their feet in humility. He is the Passover lamb, the once and for all death to atone for our sins. He's not just talking about it, but he is the one who is laying down his life. And this is a high standard. If we read these verses, this is a high standard for us to love in this way. And we know why, because we are not able to meet that standard on our own. We see it just in the verses following in verse 36, right after Jesus has given them this new commandment, Peter is told that he's going to fail utterly and completely, that he will deny our Lord. We're not able to live up to these standards because God alone is able to meet these standards, to do what no man could do, to redeem a people for himself by his broken body and his shed blood as is on display in this table this evening. That's the very thing that this table points us to is our inability to redeem ourselves, but God's grace to us in Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. Jesus loved us sacrificially, completely, with humility, perfectly. And so he calls us to love in this way as well. How are we called to love others? The third question, well, the context of our self-giving love is God's love for us. The context the only way we can make sense of how God has called us to love is the love that he has demonstrated for us. And Peter perhaps understood that more than any disciple. He did deny Jesus three times later that night as Jesus foretold. But Jesus took Simon the denier and transformed him into Peter the rock upon whom he was going to build his church. And after the resurrection, just a few chapters later in John 21, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. And in a scene that is very reminiscent of the first time that he calls to Peter, Peter and his friends were fishing and they'd come up empty throughout the night. But someone on the shore told them to cast their nets on the other side, and so they did. And they started to bring on so much fish again that their boat began to sink. And Peter literally rushed to shore to see his Lord and Savior, Jesus. And they had fish for breakfast. And after they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Giving Peter an opportunity to respond in faith. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. To which Jesus replies to him, feed my sheep. 
Jesus is saying, as it were, on your own, Peter, you do not have what it takes. You will deny me. But as Jesus will promise just 15 verses later in this chapter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is God who will enable you, Peter, to love in this way. And loving in this way is how we proclaim the true God to the watching world. And sensing the weight of all that he is saying, Jesus reassures his disciples, which is the reason we grab verse one of chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus is aware of the troubles that are coming for his disciples. But he says to them, fear not. I want to give you something so that your hearts don't have to be troubled. I want to give you something that is lasting in the storms to come so that you won't be afraid. And that something is me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus knew that his disciples were going to be shaken. And I love this moment, as we saw the humanity of Jesus on display as he wept over his friend Lazarus, we again see the humanity of Jesus and how he cared for his disciples, knowing the hours and the agony that were laying ahead in his life, that he would care for them enough to say, let not your hearts be troubled. And in the hours to come, Jesus would face hostility and injustice, abuse, even abandonment by his closest friends. And yet John says, Jesus loved them and therefore us also to the end. Jesus told Peter in verse 37, You cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And those prophetic words did one day come true. Right after Jesus tells Peter in John chapter 21 to feed my sheep, he tells Peter that he too will one day stretch out his hands, alluding to Peter's own death, even crucifixion. And so Peter Jesus says, the same words that I called to you on that first day, I call to you now. Follow me. And whether this is day one for you, calling upon the name of the Lord, or day 10,000, the word to us is the same. Jesus sees us. He has saved us, and he says to his followers, follow me. Church history tells us that Peter was later crucified upside down, refusing to die the same death as his Lord. He loved how Jesus loved, and that is how people knew that he was a disciple. And Thank God 
that he enables us to love in that same way as well by the power of his spirit. We can love in this way, church, because he has loved us. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us in this way, for showing us by your sacrifice, your atoning sacrifice. Lord, we do pray that you would give us the strength by your spirit that we could love one another, not on our own strength, but by your strength, by the power of your spirit, so that the world would know that we are your disciples because we have love for one another. We thank you for the demonstration of your love and the signs and the seals that you left us to remind us of your great love for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.